Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Interview 9, The Climate Crisis, with Mary Moore and Laura Nivalia. Hello, hello. You are very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Anshah.net. This is Simon Lewis speaking, and I am delighted uh, because I am upping my game here. I'm not interviewing one person this week. I am interviewing two people, so it's a bit of a level up for me. But it is really, really important um, if you have not listened to this podcast before to listen to this one of all things, because I don't think there is anything more important than our climate. I don't think there's anyone going to be disagreeing with that. And I have two uh, people, two primary school teachers involved in the Irish School Sustainability Network, uh, Mary Moore and Laura Nivalia, who are both, as I said, primary school teachers. And I'm really, really interested um, and excited uh, to talk to both of them because, um, as I was saying, there's probably no matter where you come from, no matter where you are in the world, there's nothing more, um, I suppose, pressing than uh, the climate crisis that we have at the moment. And uh, what I will do, because uh, this is a teachery type program, even if you're not a teacher, uh, you you, you probably have heard this first question in in a job interview is where you ask someone to introduce them, tell us about yourself. So I'm gonna start with Mary. Uh, Maybe you can tell us all about yourself, who you are, uh, how you got into teaching and then your interest in climate uh, and uh, climate activism. Thanks, Simon. Um, yeah, so I went straight into the B.Ed programme after my leave insert and qualified in 2003, and I've since been teaching in County Tipperary. Um, but I, I've always had a, an interest in science education, particularly environmental science, and probably later in my career, maybe um, started moving into this area of ESD, Education for Sustainable Development. And now I engage in a lot of work in this area, including research and CPD. Um, And then within Education for Sustainable Development, I'm really interested in, first of all, school community partnerships and how we can connect with others, um, but also using the built and natural environment to support teaching and learning in our schools. Brilliant. Great. And Laura? I'm Laura Niwalia. I'm teaching since 2006. I also did the B.Ed. and went straight in, somehow kind of slid straight into teaching. Um, I have always been interested in environmental education side of things. I was on the Green Schools Committee myself in secondary school. I think it was possibly one of the first ones. But um, And I, it has kind of gradually evolved. I spent a lot of time talking about climate change and doing a lot of really kind of the serious side of um talking a lot about recycling and what needs to be done to save the planet. And then I kind of gradually became aware that the children weren't as connected with the world that we're asking them to save or that we're working to protect. And I became a lot more interested in the natural side of things and getting children outdoors, learning from the natural world and learning in the natural world. So I have since become a forest school leader and I really like to bring as much outdoor learning into what I'm doing as well. I also, I spent two years in Northern Ghana, just working as a teacher support officer. And I think that really brought an awful lot of the environmental issues home to me. There were, I spoke with farmers and saw that who couldn't rely on rains, who had seen the impacts of climate change. That's sort of when I came home from there, it's 10 years ago now, but it's really made me more interested in the environmental education side of things and how we can really help children to connect with the world around them. Absolutely. before asking them to protect it. 
this is it. This is and th- thanks so much. I mean, it's I have to say from from the offset from from my own point of view, I I usually um would say that I I know quite a bit about the area uh, you know areas that I talk about in in my uh, in my podcast. But this is an area uh, uh, that I'm not brilliant, you know wouldn't be hugely familiar with. I mean, while I'm absolutely um aware there is a climate catastrophe a climate crisis at the moment while the children in my school have been great in terms of organizing um protests and um and and things like that uh, we have a lot of we're doing huge work in outdoor learning all I'm, I'm listing a lot of stuff but at the same time i'm doing it and i feel sometimes i'm doing it in a kind of a a tunnel a dark tunnel where i don't really know if i'm doing any good and so i mean i suppose i'm i'm really interested in hearing from your experience um, in the, I suppose, the Irish School Sustainability Network, which is, is, I suppose, the group you're kind of representing in a way today. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that first. I might stick with you, Laura, to start yeah. off with, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, what, what is this network? So it's the Irish School Sustainability Network was set up around just about a year ago. And initially it was a grassroots group of teachers who are interested in promoting sustainability, felt that education in Ireland needed a bigger a bigger push on sustainability needed as kind of fits of or kind of completely woven into everything that's happening in schools. It started off as a secondary school, a group of secondary school teachers and their students, and they meet monthly and it's very kind of it involves the students as well. They are the main focus is bringing sustainability into schools and empowering children and teachers to be able to take action. I think, as you said, it's such a huge topic. None of us feel like we know everything to do with it or even some of the actions, whether they're um, whether we're going in the right direction. I think so. The network has supported students in schools um, to come together and they've done initiatives like five minutes of sustainability and environmental leadership programs and mainly the Climate and Nature Summit. It was organised um, last November. We'll probably talk about that later. Yeah, actually, while, while, while you mention it, maybe t- t- Mary you might tell us about the, the summit. Um, that, that would be really interesting because I think that's how we kind of got in contact initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's probably the biggest kind of project that uh, the network has worked on so far. So Laura has been a member of the ISSN from the beginning. I kind of came in actually after the Climate and Nature Summit last year. So I saw it on social media and I took part with my class. Uh, and then I made contact um, with the network after, after that. And I'm working on, myself and Laura are currently working on the primary school one at the moment. And it's it's like our big, I suppose, project. Um, so we are hoping to kind of have a thematic approach to it this year. But it's, I suppose, the crux of it is we want people talking about this issue that if hopefully if everyone in your school was doing this, doing the little uh, lesson or activity every day, and then teachers are talking about it in the classroom and the children are talking about it and they're bringing it home, um, really to make it more central. So um, we're hoping, I, I'm not, I don't have the figures, I don't know if you do, Laura, about the amount, but we had quite, there was a lot to part. It was over 2,000 schools to part last year between primary and secondary. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's that's more than half of the schools in the country, isn't it? Or well, just, well, well primary and yeah. primary and both of them yeah. combined. So and um, just the kind of format of it that it, this year, anyways, it was an online um, online forum where there were workshops, at least one workshop for different class groups each day, and um, all around the theme of sustainability. And it was purposefully started in november because it was at the same time as the cop 26 climate conference in scotland so it was to tie in with that 
Very good. And that's that's uh, that's that's phenomenal. I mean, despite 50, I mean, it seems like over 50 percent of um, schools being represented in some ways, I still get the feeling that maybe and maybe it's just me, um, but many, many teachers might, I suppose, you think we might know a bit about climate change but or, and climate and the climate crisis. But I, it doesn't seem to be the case because I never really hear I never hear it in the staff room, really, and that's not a criticism of my staff room. But I never hear it in conferences. I never really hear it very often. I think, um, you know, what do you think? Um, do you think teachers know enough about the climate crisis? And do you think, I suppose, are we worried enough, um, Mary? Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I might come back to the worried bit, but mm. um, I suppose before we even start, I, I like. I think it's so important to state the like crucial role that education has to play in creating a sustainable future for us all and obviously lots has to come together um you know in order to solve the crisis but i like i truly believe that education is the keystone here um like the move to a sustainable future it, it's not just going to happen you know we have to have intention and this is only going to happen if we engage people who have like the understanding and the ability to influence change and for me that is teachers uh, and this is a job for education. Mm. So I, I think teachers do probably know quite a bit about the crisis, but I guess like there's a big difference kind of in knowing about it and then having the confidence and the ability to teach about this. And you've already said just how complex it is. Um, and that's probably the biggest challenge here. It is so vast and the knowledge even is so ever changing. Um, so like training is so important and I mean really good quality CPD for us teachers and also I've kind of mentioned this before but this idea of partnerships and I think we need to look beyond the school for expertise in our uh, communities to help us here um, but you know sometimes the more you know about the climate crisis um, it kind of becomes almost more difficult to teach it and I, I have certainly found that Laura I, I think actually we were talking about this Laura you said it as well yeah and even yeah. In ISSN, like there are teachers out there suffering from eco anxiety. Um, like I found that Laura, that it's harder the more I know because I, it's not like we're primary school, and the one thing we have to be is hopeful, and you don't want to. Mm. Yeah, I think that, and that's even as you said, is it being discussed? I think there's overwhelm there, and as teachers, mm. I know we say it again and again. We are trying to cover so many different areas and bringing the idea that we're also responsible responsible for promoting sustainability or dealing with the biggest challenge the earth has ever faced. That's nearly too much for a group of people that have so much on their plate at the moment. I think it is that overwhelm, and we don't always acknowledge it either. Just how like it does affect our well-being and emotionally kind of it just yeah I think absolutely and for, so record, I, and for the record I saw you uh, putting the word well-being in quotation marks <laughs> it's a it's one of those words <laughs> that's yeah. very loaded isn't it um I I, I suppose I that the second part of that question was is should we be worried and we might come back to that because I, I think um you know the answer is yes clearly we should but there is that um I, th I think there was um and I could be wrong um again that um and I think it actually ties in with um, actual well-being um, that, that's going on, the, the criticism of well-being is that sometimes, you know, this resilience and grit that I talked about before on this podcast with, um, with someone called Audrey Bryan, who's uh, uh, very into this area, um, she, she was saying that actually when it comes to things like climate crisis, you know, well-being is, is, is actually, and, and this idea of resilience, 
is, is gives you nothing, you know, because you need to get angry sometimes. And, you know, you, you, you know, and, and just being worried and trying to cure your worry by doing mindful practices or whatever is, isn't going to solve climate crisis. Um, so, you know, actually using that worry or using that anxiety for good is, is what we should be focused on, which kind of leads me to the next question, which is the, the primary curriculum. And uh, I'm going to ask it now in two ways, because I didn't realize, um, uh, uh, Laura, that you're working in Educate Together, because I want to hone in on the uh, Learn Together program a little bit with you. So I might just go with the general SPHE, geography, science, kind of those subjects that you'd normally associate with climate um, with, with you, Mary. I mean, do you think the primary curriculum as it stands and maybe the plans for it in the future go anywhere near where it need, where they need to be? Yeah, um, so I suppose there is provision there in the 99 curriculum to, you know, teach about the environment and social and global issues. Um, and to be honest, the menu style of that 1999 curriculum, uh, that always appealed to me. Mm. Um, so there's probably enough kind of to help the children learn about the crisis um, and to give teachers the space, I suppose, to do it. But for me, there needs to be more focus on taking action and meaningful action not turn out the lights and those questions you know did you turn off the lights did you walk to school today that is that's just nowhere near where we need we need to be at um so I suppose with regards to the curriculum like there is the potential for it to be very good but it comes back to the teacher I think and the school indeed to make sure that it's covered um whether the new curriculum will do more probably remains to be seen um you know we Again, we were, we were chatting about this uh, at one of our last meetings, myself and Laura, and we were looking at um, the various sections of the new curriculum and, you know, there needs, so I think, is it the key competencies? Um, comp yeah. Yeah, there needs to be eco-literacy in there for me. That's like, that. that is the fundamental knowledge that our society needs now, um, to be eco-literate. Um, you know, when we talk even about worrying there a minute ago, like, we are unaware of the systems we are currently living in. We, we just don't, we're, we're not aware of our environment. And I'm not even talking about the nature side of an, our environment, but our, our total environment, the all the systems in, in within which we live, you know. Um, I, so you mentioned, is it equaliterate? Eco, sorry. Oh, Equaliterate, sorry. And what, what, yeah. sorry. Oh yeah, well, I, 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 that, that makes sense. Sorry, I, did, yeah. I, I just hadn't, uh, I misheard you there. So what, what would eco-literacy be? Yeah, so it's that ability to understand. So it's back to what Laura was saying at the beginning, getting outdoors, understanding um, nature. But but again, so yes, absolutely being able to maybe identify our wildflowers and, and all our native plants. But um, looking at connections, looking at how that influences us, looking at how one a change in one system can affect another. Um, Laura, you might actually be better on this because I know it's your area. Um, do you want to... Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think eco literacy will bring in all that the awareness of the outdoors and kind of really connecting to it, not just going outside and identifying dandelion daisy, but playing and really appreciating it. We're bringing that in. Then once you come into the classroom, that you bring that to a bigger scale, looking at cycles within the natural world, looking at kind of systems thinking um, approach as well as backing that up with action literacy that that has to be part of it how i am really worried about this how do i take action that uh, that somebody would leave the sc primary school with the skills to address the issues that are worrying them i think that has to be all combined in. and it is done to a certain extent in schools and it can be brought into the curriculum as it is but it really needs to be 
onto the key competencies and even I would in the new curriculum put it down as a principal and it somehow hasn't made it in there um, still up for um, consultation but I think it just has to be pushed if we're looking at fostering well-being as a competency we need to have, bring in the well-being of the wider world not just ourselves yeah, absolutely. No, I, I I'd agree with you. And I'm going to stick with the curriculum, but the kind of patron curriculum in our in our uh, well, I say our. I mean, uh, I'm in an educate together school, as most people know. Listen, but you're also in one. And one of the um, strands or one of the uh, of of uh, our curriculum is ethics and the environment, which is going to be changed uh, quite soon. Um, to you know, I think I, I can't remember the exact term. Is it ethical education and sustainability or something like that? Um, what do you think? I mean, or you know as a as it is and hope what the future might look like i think it is uh, it has really impacted i think what the work that has been done in educate together skills was having that ethics and environment strand there and it just brought it made it clearer where a lot of this work is done in all schools but when it's set in stone there that it has been addressed and there, i know um it does also, it does include the action. I think protest is mentioned as one of the um, potential actions. So I think that's really important. I'm not that familiar with how it's going to be changed. So kind of, I, yeah. That's okay. No, I, I'm not either really, to be honest, because, um, you know, it's still, you know, it, it being developed and yeah. in that format and not many, I suppose not, not, not most of us haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my understanding is it's moving away from that sort of, you know, let's do some recycling. Let's, uh, you know, switch on and off the lights and save water to sustainability as an actual, as a naming, or even the name, uh, you know, which is really yeah. interesting. And I think that that came from some work a few years ago when Educate Together hosted a sustainability conference. Um, I don't know if you were, you were involved like, yeah. at the time, um, but by all means, it's, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was great to see that um, yeah. actually happening. Um, so just I, on I, that, I think, yeah. like, that idea of moving away from recycling is something that we even one of the workshops we're looking at for the climate and nature summit is that like recycling is not everything or kind of the, just looking at the bigger picture we put so much emphasis on individual actions and I think especially in primary school that's the most reassuring thing we can say to children is you recycle your waste and that's you know you're doing your bit but we, we need we really really need to move to a bigger picture mm. um and i think that whatever curriculum comes in needs to have that not put the emphasis on the individual which is what a lot of companies and a lot of um a lot of corporations would prefer to us to take individual responsibility rather than collective yeah. Collective responsibility, and, and, yeah. and we've we've seen some examples, famous examples of uh, multinational companies uh, who who uh, whose whose main purpose is to destroy the planet, putting out things like uh, you know famous. I think the famous one is the British Petroleum who uh, said you know look after your, measure your carbon footprint, even though they yeah. were like <laughs> this big oil company. I mean, there's loads of examples, but I think it's uh, there's the a, one yeah, there's a few more closer to home in, lately. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gone down in history. Is probably the uh, the, the 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 most interesting one of all because it became an actual thing your carbon footprint they actually came up with that uh, as a as an idea um but um I suppose when we're we, we've mentioned the word recycling a lot and when I hear recycling I hear green flag and uh I have to say it's something and I, I I'll be the first to say it I I think it's had its day um maybe you disagree maybe it maybe it's uh maybe it still has a purpose. Or maybe maybe it just needs um like like all schemes a bit of a refresh 
Um, what are your own thoughts on that? Uh, Mary, maybe we'll start with you on that. Yeah, it possibly does need a refresh, I think. So the green like the green flag programme has positive elements. It's it's part of the Eco Schools, which is a global programme. Um, like it, you have to give it to them. It, it put green issues on the map for primary schools. It maintained a good focus on them for a number of years. Um, but like, I suppose like many programmes that are rolled out across all schools, there's going to be a number of difficulties. Um, so I know a big one for us was this flag culture that kind of ensued afterwards for a number of years. And you could get a flag for anything. So that certainly didn't help, I, I think. But like issues of sustainability, I, we said they're wide and varying. But when it's something like the Green School, so the Green Schools program is what we call an EMS, an environmental management system. And they tend to be very site specific, like water use on a certain site and uh, energy use. That's very much linked to the school, the building, the age of the building, the profile, um, the people they're like there's so much there. So that uh, is a difficulty. Um, I my own research kind of showed up when I was talking to teachers about this. Um, one of the big things that came up time and time again for me was that if you were doing, let's say, the energy flag, energy management tended to be very, very good and it was doing very well. But then unfortunately, when you moved on to your next one, um, that those good practices tended to get lost and the focus became about the next one. So there was the focus on the flag. Now, I believe that I there are later, we've kind of stopped doing the green flag in my school, so I'm not entirely sure about this, but they have moved where you're going back to energy on flag six, seven and eight with a kind of yeah. a global focus. And that will possibly address um, some of that. But like to me, really, the, the issue is probably not the green flag, the green school program, or indeed the schools, but it's it's the system into which we are trying to implement these. Like it's the lack of resources. It, that's and I'm by that I mean time for teachers, and I mean funding is a big one here, and that that's big, you know. And I also think um, the green schools probably took, that program took a big hit. Um, do you remember the moratorium on the B posts? Oh, yeah, and again, yeah. that was a problem because it wasn't supposed to be one teacher rolling it out. It, it needed to be more collective. It needed to be whole school. Um, so if it was been run that way, I think it took a big hit at that time as well. Um, so it, it was how it was managed in schools. You know, sometimes the committee, only the children on the committee were kind of getting exposed mm -hmm. to the green issues. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we were discussing this actually, again, myself and Laura there recently about the role of committees and maybe this kind of a lack of understanding of what a committee is. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're a re representative rather than you're not running it. So, so that's... Um, you know, leadership there is very important as well. I think the, the role of the principal is key here when running, you know, to, to get behind this, whether it's the green flag or any kind of sustainability initiative that a teacher may be trying to run in a school. Mm. Um, but Laura, you, you were saying that you actually spoke to somebody who's become an activist. You were, wasn't that? I've spoken to a number of people who would be environmental activists at the moment, or um, lately and would credit a lot of it to their work in green schools when they were in primary or secondary school. So mm -hmm. I think it has been really influential to a certain amount of people. Um, but again, it might need to be looked at. And I think the a huge strength of it is the, the child-centered nature and the committee when done well and when it's inclusive and when the other when they understand the idea of a representative. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of positives. That's definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it certainly. I mean, it put green issues in schools. Yeah. I think probably. For I, the yeah. I think we do need to moving towards like a whole school sustainability plan, or that it's what every school needs. We'd need to move in that direction, but however that looks. Yeah, I I suppose that it, it, in a way, 
uh, kind of like when I was when I was a kid, you know, the Green Party as a political party were seen as these absolutely madcap out there kind of party that didn't, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, that were, you know, obviously were totally outside of the mainstream, whereas now every single political party would have a green agenda now forgetting the politics of it i'm just uh, it's yeah. just interesting that the green party in a way is uh, isn't that we isn't weird at all anymore you know i mean or green yeah, yeah or green <laughs> that's true too yeah because we're not talking about politics <laughs> yeah but yeah absolutely agree with you <laughs> um speaking of politics and uh, let's politics always brings out protest and you mentioned that and i had this I felt it was a mad situation, but maybe it wasn't. Um, our our fifth, our children uh, decided they wanted to join in the climate change protest movement that was happening pre-pandemic. And um, I thought this is a wonderful idea. And in my naivety, I thought everybody thought this is a good idea. And um, we had, we brought uh, a couple, I think almost a couple of hundred children uh, marching from the school uh, with the various banners as like we've seen all around the world to the town hall here in Carlo. And um, when we got there, expecting to see thousands of uh, children equally adept in, in things. But we heard on the way that a number of the schools had, particularly the secondary schools, had banned their students from attending. Um, and I just thought this is incredible. Like, um, and I saw, you know, there were, so in the end, it was kind of, there was a load of us and then a few representatives, let's say green school committees that attended this uh, the first and uh, uh, climate protest, climate change protest. Is that was that an odd outlier situation or, you know, have you heard of schools that are actually were banning students from leaving their school to attend these marches? Because that was a, the whole purpose. It was down school, down your tools at 12 o'clock and head to the, the town or the city or whatever it was. Yeah, I've heard a lot of differing views on it, and um, I think the Fridays for Futures movement has done such as uh, huge work in highlighting issues and giving young people a voice. Um, I think, yeah, the issue with school is possibly unsurprising because the idea of bringing children out protesting isn't in our everyday teaching. It's to some people might not be even seem like the role of the school to really challenge systems and challenge how things are going. So I guess it is a very, it becomes controversial when it, we're asked, is that what we're teaching in school? Is, and we need, it comes down to what the purpose is in education and how sustainability or other issues are made central is if we need to ask if that's our role or not. And I think the schools perhaps decided that that wasn't the role. They may teach about it, but teach it from a book in the classroom or actions within the school. It's about being safe. And I think the time to be safe is over. We don't mm. have time for that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and I mean, and I don't know if you know this, uh, and maybe uh, Mary, you might, might know, or, 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 or just around um, like in, internationally, it seemed, uh, you know, you always look at other countries and think they're doing better than, than you are. And they may not be, but what do we have a kind of a, a is it an Irish thing not to want to protest? You know, you always think of protests. So you think of France, France you, think, yeah. you know, but like that aside, I mean, have other countries done better in terms of student protest and when it comes to climate uh, crisis? My, my, I, I don't know, but my gut instinct would be maybe not particularly, you know, um, there's some very high profile uh, young 
activists out there and they probably do draw media attention to their area but um like older students secondary school students do seem to be out like every friday if, if you know if, i suppose if you follow it there are in all the major cities there is quite yeah possibly actually you're right possibly more so than we would hear here in dublin hmm. yeah you, have you heard anything at all uh laura um i'm not yeah i could really say ireland compared to other countries mm-hmm. um I think yeah, we're just we, but we aren't a protesting nation, and yeah. perhaps, and I, I do understand, like schools, if you are going out protesting, it does need to be balanced up. Is this the best use mm-hmm. of our time? Is it going to be effective? And maybe doing a huge sustainability initiative within a school might some schools might see that as mm-hmm. a better use of time. And but I think it should definitely be considered and weighed up whether it is the best way to. And I think there's also, well, in primary school anyways, the idea over eco-anxiety and do I bring my whole class out to protest when some of them may not be as aware? And unless you have that background work done, it can be, it's quite an overwhelming concept. And I know there could have been young people there that don't really understand why they're there. So I think yeah. there's there a lot you do need, it does need to be done in the context of an approach to sustainability rather mm. than one, one day out. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so from out, out on the streets to back in the classroom a little bit, mm. um, there's probably a, a number of teachers who might be listening, or even parents at home who want to talk to their children about um, uh, climate. And, you know, apart from the green flag, are there any kind of resources out there you know, um, that teachers might be able to pick up and use in their classroom immediately? Or um, is there is there a dearth of stuff out there? Yeah, there's actually quite a lot of resources out there now. Um, and the challenge, I think, is actually trying to sift through them all and finding what works for you and your pupils. Mm. Um, and even for schools or teachers, maybe who are only starting out on this, um, I I've done some work with schools and this and my starting point is always, you know, you have to kind of work out what sustainability is for you and your school and your community. And it's the same with resources. Then you need to see, you know, is this fitting for for me, for my children in my class? Um, so for anybody totally starting on this, I always think I always think that the S, what we call the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, if you're not aware of them, it's a really good starting point because there's loads of really good UN resources. And you're, you're kind of almost starting at the bigger picture, looking at the different areas and trying to make connections between, let's say, health and the environment and, you know, gender equality. So that can be really good. And the world's largest lesson at Global Goals is really a really good starting point mm-hmm. for there. Um, if you're kind of going into the climate part of it, then the actual climate crisis and looking at climate. Um, while I always go to the ESA website first, the European Space Agency for everything in science, I actually have to say the NASA Climate Kids is excellent on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my I, one of my top resources is actually National Geographic, um, because, again, if you're talking about our curriculum and where we want to go, there's loads of different text to, to explore with your, your kids, you know, podcasts, mm. videos and so on. And I really like that. But there's loads of Ir- brilliant Irish resources like the, the Tropra website, the Plan Ireland website have some nice ones. Mm. Um, both of us are big fans of uh, Paul O'Donnell. I think Laura's yeah, yeah. book is worn away. <laughs> 
yeah he's great he's great yeah it's actually something it's another thing we're working on at the moment tonight and we're, we're trying to get our website up and running and we're hoping it'll be done soon but this is an area we really want to work on where we are going to bring together resources mm-hmm. but ones that we've kind of feel we've tried and tested um mm-hmm. because I, like the most important thing um you know is it does it help you as a teacher to foster that critical awareness and does it allow the pupils to kind of really critically question the topic in hand yeah um, laura probably has loads of resources to add in there well no i'm just thinking yeah, as you said paul o'donnell's book is a brilliant starting point as well as i in terms of outdoor learning the wild school paddy madden's books as well as mm-hmm. this brilliant um webs are videos on heritage in schools and it was another I'll give you the link to it to a permaculture for kids book which brings a lot of the curriculum into kind of looking at sustainable agriculture and that side of things brilliant Brilliant. resource to have I would love it if you do I I, what I do at the end uh, when I'm doing up the editing of this uh, podcast is uh, any any kind of thing that we refer to I try and find links to them and put them in the description so afterwards if people listen to this they'll be able to find some of those things so if you if you can send any links to me that would be absolutely brilliant Uh, though I will go through it myself I'll do my job too uh, but uh, that that that, would be fantastic I suppose one thing and we're coming I suppose near the end in fact it's probably my my last big question in a way um, is is one thing we haven't um, mentioned is whether um, I suppose the sustainability or climate should be a curriculum subject. And I know um, I, before this uh, re- recording, I, I spoke to you Mary briefly about where you asked me whether yeah. I thought it would be it. I didn't really yeah. know. I didn't. I didn't know how to answer. I was looking at you going, "What should I say? Should I say yes? <laughs> should I say what's the right answer?" So, what is the right answer? <laughs> That was the teacher coming out in me. <laughs> Apologies. Um, yeah, so we, the last time we were talking was the announcement had just been made at the, about the new Leaving Certificate uh, mm. subjects, one of which is going to be climate action and sustainable development. Um, now, I'm not a secondary school teacher, obviously, um, but the, I do feel that that's a positive step at secondary school. You know, once it enables, again, the children to really dig deep with the crucial factors, you know, to look at economy, to look at capitalism and, mm-hmm. um, you know, to allow children or secondary school pupils to really explore the root causes of social and environmental injustice. But following that, I was watching it in the media because I was so interested, but I noticed that on social media, there were a number of people, a number of groups kind of saying, oh, this is great. The same now needs to happen at the primary school level and yes my answer to that would be no I wouldn't be in favour of that Mm. um so I suppose my reasoning is this um like while individual disciplinary knowledge I guess is very very important and it allows for specialisms and so on I I think at primary school level um you know our focus should be interdisciplinary um ensuring all pupils um can explore sustainability topics through all subjects you know it needs to be cross-curricular and cross-school um, and not only because sustainability, because of sustainability, and that's the way it is, it's all encompassing, but also it's the way our children learn, they need to make connections. Um, so, you know, climate change education or sustainability education, or whatever you want to call it, you know, like I said, it doesn't belong in geography or it doesn't belong in science for me. And while they may be two excellent subjects for studying the issues, and for many teachers, they're kind of the entry point into these topics. Um, You know, it's absolutely crucial that children can explore these topics through the arts, uh, through language and so on. Um, So one idea, just when we were talking about one idea that I was kind of thinking of, I think perhaps that a way of ensuring that this, you know, does actually get its place on the curriculum 
um, would be kind of maybe to have a set of kind of compulsory themes, one of which would be sustainability, and then schools could decide how that's run out, you know, in their own plan scholia or, or that. Um, and maybe that would ensure that it's covered. But I just feel an extra subject is not what any of us need. First of all, something has to go if it's an extra subject. Um, and I think if it was done this way, kind of thematic, that, it, you know, rather than being extra work, it would maybe get teachers thinking about the themes that they already cover in their school year and trying to incorporate sustainability into that uh, instead. Mm. Um, no, that, that, that sounds... Um... That that sounds it's 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 as interesting as you're saying it. And I possibly said this to say uh, to the last time, the way we like things to um be carpent carpentalized, and I can't even I can't say mm-hmm. that word still. I was I think I, I struggled with the word. It's reminding me uh, that I tried to say it the last time. Uh, but um but how we do but how we actually all do it already in terms of and I, I'm not saying I agree with either of these things, but like how we allow things like religion to permeate throughout the school day and it's supposed to vivify everything that happens in the school. And we tend to do that in our schools if we're in religious run schools. And also if you're in an educated exercise, again, the ethos is supposed to, you know, permeate throughout the school day. But on top of that, we're getting away from emotive things like religion. Uh, technology is another thing that's supposed to be, is, is a cross curricular thing. And there's a danger of that becoming a subject and it just becoming a standalone thing rather than it supporting all the sub, all the rest of the subjects, which is the way it really should be. And um, so I, I can see the I can see the argument absolutely mm-hmm. for sustainability. If you make it a standalone subject, it can become just you you talk about it at that time rather than throughout the 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 day, and that makes a lot of sense. I don't. Do you have anything to add to that, Laura? At all? No, I totally agree. I think as one subject, it becomes siloed. There is the argument that perhaps we are in such a crisis that it needs to be one single subject and that it is taught every single week and that has to happen rather than it being a theme that's hit, that's covered once a year. But I think it has to be an overarching theme that it can't be. I did sustainability in November and I don't come back to it. it we need to, And I think training is key there on how every single subject, how you can bring it in across the board. Um, I think that's... Yeah, I, I, I think so. Well... We are already, uh, I mean, the time has flown. I mean, when I say already, we've been talking for uh, almost uh, an hour already, but uh, I have, um, I have uh, two, 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 one, one final question, which I ask everybody, um, and I'm going to ask it twice now, uh, so you, you, can, you don't have to, you can pick different things. Um, and it, it's basically if uh, the title of this podcast is If I Were the Minister for Education. So I'm going to give you uh, a benign dictatorship for a day, which is to be the min- Minister for Education. You can, do, you can do one thing to change the system. Uh, so I'm going to ask you what it would be, and I'm going to pick on you, Laura, first. You have to decide what you would do if you, were, if you got the hot seat. And then, uh, Mary, you can uh, uh, come in uh, with your uh, choice of what you would do if you had one um, thing to change about the education system. And it can be about this, or it can be about something completely different. So um, let's see. Um, well, unsurprisingly, if I could do one thing, I think is that every child and every primary school in Ireland would have access to um, a wild outdoor space and be allowed the to- prolonged time to take risks there to re- to play and really connect with the natural world, certainly for the first four or five years of primary school as a kind of a basis for everything else they do. Fantastic. Excellent. That That is something that no one has said yet uh, on, on my interviews. Uh, so I'm delighted. Um, and what about you, Mary? 
Yeah, um, first of all, what Laura said there is so important, you know, that connection with nature, like we really cannot understate that. And could you imagine if our children had access to that kind of space, all of our children, it would be great. And actually, my answer to this is probably extending on Laura's, it's probably building on it, because um, I'm really interested in the built environment as well. And I think that our school grounds and buildings need to be much more inspirational. Um, like school buildings and grounds, they should be models of sustainable design that we can use as teaching tools. And as things stand, I think that most of our school buildings teach us and the children that disconnectedness is, is normal. So if I were Minister for Education, I would drive money into integrating sustainable technologies in our schools. So the likes of rainwater harvesting, solar PV, real-time energy monitoring, the school gardens, the biodigesters, and accompany that with really progressive CPD um, so that they'd be used as teaching tools that, you know, that like it is a model that can be used. That is really interesting as well. I mean, that's, I mean, to combining those two um, two things alone, I, I, I would see as, re- you know, it's, it's revolutionary in a way. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what kind of buildings your schools are in at the moment where uh, my, my school would be uh, known as the very sexy title of repeat generic design, uh, which is effectively a big box uh, and another box attached to that box and everything very done very, very cheaply because of the model that it's um, that it's basically done. But despite that, when my I mean, I, I feel like my school had a slight difference, even though it didn't work out in that we did get rainwater harvesting as a as a. As, as, as part of our build though it never worked uh but it, we have um and 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 never will probably but unless we effectively i don't know what we can do to be honest we tried everything we could to get it working but the fact they even were thinking about it as a department of education was quite good because we also had another thing that didn't work which was um the real monitoring uh when you mentioned that i was like yes that's that's what that screen is in our in our hall that never worked um I, but i mean <laughs> In a kind of a, I mean, in a kind of a positive way, that was 2013. So they were kind of thinking, yeah. must have been thinking about yeah. those things. Now, hopefully they did, they, but because of the lack of success in, <laughs> in implementing it, it didn't yeah. get put to the side. But I, I, I have heard of, um, particularly in the sector that I, I, I'm involved in, where we are getting new, new, newish buildings, there's some interesting potentially interesting stuff happening so I, I i think of um i think i think you're right and hopefully there there can be a focus again the outdoor learning sort of idea i mean you're, you're i'm certainly hearing more about that yeah. um again the covid that's one thing it did push we had to get outside so um it yes. really pushed it i think one thing that's good like in terms of school buildings if there was just a blanket all the planting that's done around schools to use native plants mm. and native trees really simple but it's not happening even on new builds and that's something like that could be done really relatively cheaply and with a huge resource for teaching as well absolutely we're actually uh, yeah we're, we're doing that at the moment we have an outdoor uh, club um every week in school we um we, we we're, i'm just very lucky with the staff i have um and i don't really like talking about my own school in the podcast but i'm going to in this case because mm-hmm. uh not not to boast or anything like that because i i, I certainly that's not the intention but it's it's nice to see there are some teachers out there that are re, are, are are so interested. They're pushing this. I think uh, I've uh, three or four teachers in my in my school who are part of this uh, group called. I'm going to mention them because uh, I've called One Future, um, and I think they have um, collectives all over the country. And um, they've really. It's amazing how the power of maybe one or two teachers or one or two children, even students, who can really push uh, things. Because I certainly, if it was, I don't. I did. I certainly learned so much from them. And I, I think if you're a school leader out there who might listen to this, um, 
like to tap into your your the the, the talents um of your teachers who are interested in this and, and give give the permission to take those risks i think mean, that'd be my philosophy uh, in life and I, i'm not saying that as i said to to be boastful or anything like that i just think it's we're, we're in a situation i believe anyway and i'm sure uh, it, that if we don't do it like it's there's no point in being brilliant at reading and writing if we don't have a planet to live on and all that kind of stuff really so i'm not sure if that makes sense if people are interested in hearing more about the irish school sustainability network how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so first of all, I, I would, if there's anybody listening, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of reach out and start in a new thing, but I would really encourage you to get in touch with us um, and to tell your colleagues and your teacher friends. So it really is a grassroots initiative. Um, you know, you're not going to be asked to take on lots of work. Um, you can get involved in as many of our kind of projects and help us with as many things you'd like or as little as you want. And I, and I really mean that. So we meet once a month online for one hour and it is just one hour um, and we share resources and some teachers will talk about something they're doing in their school. Um, and this is really positive. First of all, if you're only starting out, it's a really good place to start exploring ESD. But also like myself or Laura, if you're actually working in this area for a long time, sometimes it kind of becomes lonely. And I personally have felt it has just been so beneficial to me to connect with other teachers who are doing the same. So um, our main social media platform at the moment is Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can contact either myself or Laura there, or we have the ISSN handle, uh, which I'll give to you, Simon, but it's yeah. Irish and then SCH for school and S-U-S-T-Y, I think for short for sustainability. And we have an email address as well, Irish, S-C-H, I don't have to pronounce that, short for school, susty at gmail.com. But I will share those with you. And, you know, it's very relaxed, but I really do feel it's beneficial. It's certainly been beneficial to me to get involved. Fantastic. Uh, that's brilliant. Anything to add there, uh, Laura? No, I think Mary has <laughs> covered it all. Yeah, great, great. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I, 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 I say this to every guest, but I actually mean it when I say it. I, I could talk for hours and hours more. Really? It's been really, really uh, wonderful to meet you and chat to you and uh, and reconnect with with both of you from for particularly different projects and things like that uh, which we we could talk about another day yes. uh, but uh, for now we will stick to saving the planet uh, which is probably you know uh, the most important one of all um and um look for uh, those of you who are interested um uh, as i said the links uh, to anything that's been mentioned will be uh, at the bottom of uh, the description of this podcast and how to get in touch uh, with uh, with the group and the network. Um, if you have enjoyed this uh, podcast, please consider subscribing. It's how other Irish teachers can find it more easily um, and uh, spread the word of it too to any of your colleagues who you think might be interested in hearing this. Um, listen, Mary and uh, Laura, thanks so much uh, for joining me. Um, I've really enjoyed the chat and um, I hope it's been a, a good experience for you too. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. So there you have it. Um, fascinating insights to the climate crisis and how education uh, is very much part of the solution. And thanks again to Mary and Laura for taking part in the interview. I'll leave all the links uh, that uh, Laura and Mary mentioned in the show notes. Um, so don't worry if you didn't hear them. They'll be there. Just go to onshot.net and click on the podcast episode and uh, they'll be there for you to see. So that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best. We'll catch you again next week. Bye bye.